Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. So often, when we talk about the term consent, we assume that it's all about sex. Whether someone wants to have sex, whether someone said yes to sex, whether someone said no to sex. But in fact, consent is so much more complicated and layered than A, what context it involves, sex or no sex, all sorts of different things. And B, what consent even means. And there are a variety of ways to think about consent and to teach about consent. So today's episode is going to get at a bunch of those layers and complications. It's not going to get to all of them. We will never get to all of them in one episode. We have gotten to some of them in other episodes like with Jonathan Crystal and Shafia Zaloom. But this is all about consent, but it's not all of consent. I like that description, Vanessa. I really do. And I I will add to it that this episode is meant to start at the beginning. So especially for people with younger kids or people with older kids who haven't necessarily had sophisticated conversations yet about consent, this episode in particular is an episode that is designed to talk about how do we slowly toe into consent? And what we promise 
is that there will be a separate episode for those of you who do not need the one-on-one class for higher level, deeper dive conversations about all of the complicated legal and social ramifications of consent, especially as it has to do with sex. But this conversation, let's start, Vanessa, let's start really young. How young do you want to go? I like to start thinking and talking about consent for kids as young as like preschool. 100%. Yep. Because it's a time when they want to be touching everything around them, people, objects, anything they can get their hands on. And they're so gosh darn cute. And so people want to be touching them because they're adorable with their chubby little thighs and their rosy little cheeks. And so it's a great opportunity to both teach about asking for permission to touch someone else and requiring someone to ask you if they can touch you. Right. And and we don't have a ton of listeners that are focused on the toddler years, but the reason we're going to start here and just spend a minute on it is to draw awareness to what we all do when we're around younger kids, what we're modeling for our kids as they're getting a little bit older. You're, you're so right that people, they just want to grab the chubby cheeks of a toddler. They just want... And, and what do we say to our younger kids? We say, go give so-and-so a hug, right? Our instruction for how many of us teach the youngest kids in our lives how to interact in a loving way or a familiar way with someone is to tell them to actually break down that sort of private bubble around them and go let someone touch them and go touch someone else. And I think the reason it's such a great place to start is that that is something we really need to rethink. It sets the tone for how we talk to our kids about touch with other people for the rest of their lives, most especially with people they're close to, grandparents, aunts, uncles, family, friends. I mean, how often have you said to your kid, oh, go give grandma a hug. And the kid says, no, I don't want to. And you're like, no, no, you have to give grandma a hug. Like, what are we modeling for our kids to be like, you have to go touch someone else when you don't feel like it. It's wacko. So I like to think of starting there. Now, some kids don't have language in their toddler years and won't have language until, you know, three, four, five. And so part of it is giving them a private kind of communication with you, which is like thumbs up, thumbs down. No, thank you. A shake of the head means I don't want to give so-and-so a hug. A special code word. A special special code code word. word can be great because it can cue people into my discomfort. And it's a skill that will carry on for the rest of their lives. You can come up with special code word language as young as you want with kids and through, especially through middle and high school. What a gift because sometimes your kids can find themselves in sticky situations and they can either text you or call you with the special code word and everyone knows what it means. So uh, that is a great thing. The other little bit that is relatable to parents of kids in puberty and adults who are caring for kids in puberty is that a lot of these kids in puberty are babysitting the very youngest, you know, the toddlers and the kindergartners. And so modeling this in that way, sort of being that aspirational young adult figure in their life as the babysitter or the caretaker or the parent's helper, whatever role that tween or teen is playing. These conversations are important to have 
with older kids about how they model for younger kids. And I would add one more thing and then we're going to move up in age, which is you can help your kids handle a complicated situation by giving them some choices in front of other adults. So for instance, if you go to a family barbecue and everyone is swarming your adorable little kid, you can say, hey, buddy, do you want to give that person a high five or a hug or just wave at them? Right. And that signals both to your kid that they have choice in the matter and that there are ways to handle it besides hiding in your, you know, in between your legs. And it models for the adults in the situation that the baseline assumption is not that your child is always going to give them a hug and a kiss. So it's important on it's important on both levels. I want to talk for a second, Cara, about kid-to-kid interactions and how consent can help with that. And this can move us into like a little bit of an older age range. So, you know, kindergarten, first, second graders, they just want to touch everybody else in their universe, play with their hair, sit on their laps, hold their hands, touch their backpacks and their toys and their shirts and all of those things. And we have to remember that sometimes they just can't help it right? There's an impulsivity and a desire to touch that is just like they're developmentally not at the stage where they can kind of rein it in. So Car, do you have some advice for the folks who have those kids who are just like lovable touchers on how to manage that without kind of extinguishing their kids' affectionate and curious flame, um, but also help them respect other people's boundaries? Well, my first piece of advice is to remember that while many kids are that way, not all kids are that way. So if there is a kid in your life who is not that way, that can be developmentally normal too. And in fact, that is the kid who is maybe best at teaching the others around them about boundaries, right? Because there's always one or two in a classroom or on a playground or on a sports team or in a Girl Scout troop or wherever, whatever the setting is, who just wants space. And that is completely normal and appropriate. Some of this is temperament and personality. Some of this is learned. Some of this is experiential. So in terms of framing, I love the question because it's aimed at the adults who are caring for the kids who are touchers and space invaders, Um, right? It's not... It's not to stigmatize in any way the kids who are not. For people who have a kid who just does not know physical boundaries, you have a couple of choices. You can use words or you can use physical interaction. So some younger kids actually need physical redirection. They actually need you to help them move their bodies in space because they are so caught up in the moment, they can't do it. You know if you have that kid. And frankly, you know, that's not a preschool or a kindergarten or a second grade thing. That is something that can extend well through grade school into middle school. Usually by high school, most kids have better control over sort of this balance between where their body is and where they know their body should be. But sometimes it takes a very gentle but clear redirection. Grab them by the shoulders. And as you're telling them, hey, let's give this person a little space, you're gently, not not forcefully, gently helping them back out of the situation or holding their hand 
in order to get their hands off of someone else, right? And there's a narrative you can offer, which is like, hey, I know you're so excited to see your friend, but everybody has a physical bubble. So you talk to kids about what their bubble is. Some people have a huge bubble and they need a lot of space. Some people have a small bubble and they don't care if people are physical with them. So you can talk about having a bubble. You can talk about how everybody needs a different amount of time to get used to being in a new situation. They maybe need to warm up first thing in the morning and they don't want you to tackle them. There's also just like a sensitivity to some people like hugs and some people don't. And that's totally normal. So I think narrating for kids in a non-judgmental kind of, as you say, car gentle way, acknowledging both the impulse to want to be affectionate or to touch other people and the impulse to have space and not to be touched and normalizing both sides of it. Right. And here's an important feature. It's ideal to narrate twice, first in the moment and second at a separate time when you can reflect back together on what happened. And why is that so important? Because when you do it in the moment, you're helping physically and verbally redirect the behavior, which teaches, right? You're grabbing the teachable moment. But then if you don't replay it later, you're not hammering home the lesson. And sometimes you have to replay it later a number of times, right? Sometimes sometimes you can say it one time and they, as the older they get, the more they'll say, I got it. I got it. I, yes, I know. But sometimes, especially with kids who are younger, it's important when you're having a snack later that day or a bedtime or on a walk to say, remember that thing that happened with so-and-so where you wanted to give them a hug and they really didn't seem to want a hug? Let's talk about it. And here, Vanessa, is another really important piece of the early consent teaching, which is don't lecture your kid in a monologue about consent. If consent is about giving and receiving, then our conversations about consent need to be a give and a take, which requires time and patience. So if you're going to replay it, replay it not as a lecture, but as a question. Let's talk about what happened back there. What did you know, Jimmy do when you wanted to give him a hug? Oh, why do you think he did that? How did it make you feel? How did it make Jimmy feel? There are all these different directions you can go in. And whatever your child says, I'd be cautious about saying, no, you're wrong. That's not what happened. (laughs) Because again, when it comes to consent, what we don't want to do is set our kids up for a scenario down the road where consent is black and white and Anything that's not a no is a yes. No, there's a lot of gray and we need to understand gray in the consent world. And by the way, here's a spoiler alert for the end of this conversation. Gray means no consent. And this is really important to establish foundationally when kids are very young and you're talking about consent around issues like, can I take a bite of your sandwich? I don't know, or I'm not sure, is not giving consent. Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? 
Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? That's where Umla comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere. So we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra. And it's game-changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft, and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. Umbra's one-of-a-kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their umbras. It's why we say that the umbra may be your first bra, but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around, and find your umbra plus lots of other puberty info at myoomla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A dot com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. 
It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. I want to piggyback on that and talk a little bit about what I learned coaching thousands of girls in this grade school age, which was so fascinating to watch because the issue of consent gets played out over and over and over again. When they stand online to begin an activity and they're jostling and pushing each other and edging each other out online, and there's all sorts of negotiations It plays out when they're sitting in the circle having their snack and somebody wants to sit on someone else's lap and that person doesn't want them to. Or someone has really wonderful curly hair and another person wants to touch it and the person with the curly hair doesn't want anyone to touch her hair. Or those sequin shirts that change picture. As you move the sequins up, they look like one thing and down, they look like one thing. Mary Pat calls them consent shirts because we spent <laughs> we spent hours watching one child rub the consent shirt up and down and the other child with a face on her, like it was the worst thing in the world to have the sequins on the consent shirt rubbed up and down. But guess what? She didn't say anything. She just stood there looking uncomfortable and didn't say anything. Okay. So this is a huge piece of consent 101, which is everyone has a voice. And we want to teach our kids this regardless of their age, that when it comes to consent, the person who is either initiating the action or interested in the action, or, you know, they want to touch the shirt, they want to take a bite of the sandwich or they want to make out. It doesn't really matter what the situation is. That person has a job, which is to engage in conversation and make sure it's okay. But so too does the person on the receiving end. And I think, you know, so often in relationship dynamics, 
we think, we as humans come to think that there is a giver and a receiver, that there is an initiator and there is a secondary recipient. In consent, the most important thing we can do to evolve our kids thinking about consent and our own thinking about consent is that these conversations are between two different people who are on a level playing field. We want to empower the kids who are being asked to also speak up even before they're asked to let someone know either, yes, this is okay, or no, this isn't okay. But listen to this part of it because it plays out in even more parallel about what happens when kids get older. If you ask a kid, you can say to them, hey, I notice your expression when someone's touching your sequin shirt is like, it looks to me like you don't really want that person touching your shirt. And they say, yeah, I don't want them touching my shirt. And if you ask them, well, why didn't you tell them? They say, and get ready for this, I was afraid that they were going to be mad at me. I was afraid that they wouldn't want to be my friend anymore if I said no. And I have to tell you, it is chilling to me every time I hear a kid say that because fast forward that comment 5, 10, 15 years later, and it is exactly what frightens the hell out of me when kids and teenagers and adults feel like they do not have a voice in the scenario because they are worried about being rejected or abandoned or left without a person that they care about. And that is the narrative. That is the crux of what we have to teach kids. You can have a voice, Car, as you say, everybody gets a voice. You can have a voice and still be loved by the people who love you. It's like a, it's a wild juxtaposition of issues. And it just, it kills me. And it's not just that, but you can have a voice and practice using that voice. Yes. So you're going to get it wrong. I get it wrong. You get it wrong, Vanessa. Like sometimes we, even now, we are trying to express how we feel in a situation and we choose the wrong words or we choose the wrong tone. I know you have no idea what I'm talking about, but- uh, I'm you always know. perfectly calibrated for every situation. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, I'm never inappropriate or over the top or anything. <laughs> you know, it's so important for kids to begin to flex that muscle and to practice because we always say that failure is okay and failure is important and that's what leads to lifelong success. Well, failure in these conversations is really, really important. It's important to figure out what didn't work when you snap at someone who's touching your sequin shirt and they then jump back and then there's a whole drama and you know it has to be moderated by the adults and blah, 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 blah. And it lasts three days and you go, what, what just happened? What just happened was the kids learned how to interact with each other and they learned what worked and they learned what didn't work. But again, it requires all of this, all of this consent teaching requires giving them permission to have the conversation in the moment, encouraging them, helping them in the moment, and then reflecting on it, reflecting on it at least once, if not more than once, which is really hard and exhausting. And when you've got a list of 25 things to do, like the laundry and the bills and cleaning up the house and getting everyone ready for bed, the last thing you want to do is run onto that list, the 12 conversations that you need to relive. So I want to move, that's a perfect segue because I want to move this conversation into the home and out of a school environment. And sibling interactions are an amazing way to teach consent. Because if you think about 
how much kids living in the same house are constantly touching each other, grappling with each other, tickling each other, saying unkind things to each other. There are so many opportunities to teach consent in the course of your day filled with mundane activities. You can still fit in consent conversation. So something that comes up a lot in my house is like when my kids are tickling each other and one kid is laughing, but saying, stop, stop. And the other person keeps doing it. And it's a perfect opportunity to say, Hey, I know he's laughing, but he's also asking you to stop. And when someone asks you to stop, you stop no matter what their face might be saying or whether they're laughing or whether you were having a good time a minute ago, when someone says stop, you have to stop. And it doesn't always work. And as Kari, as you said, this is a review and a conversation that's had over and over again. And the same thing goes when somebody says something really crappy, right? Like consent isn't just about how you touch someone else. It's also how you speak to someone else. And if somebody says like, Oh God, Cara, you look so ugly today. Like, what is that outfit? You're allowed to say, what would you say, Cara? I'm sorry, I'm speechless because this would have changed my entire childhood. (laughs) (laughs) This is, I didn't consent to any nuggies. I never consented to a nuggie. This is, you know, yes and yes and yes. And what do you, you know, what do you say if someone's saying something mean and unkind? As the parent, I think you know, there's a way to run interference and stop it, but it doesn't help in the long run. So where the consent teaching really works is as it's happening and as it's unfolding in front of you to look at the kid who's being pummeled with the comments and to say, I can see this feels bad. What do you want to say? Help them, empower them and tell them. And by the way, as the one girl among four kids, my three brothers, you know, it was very sort of classic scenario in my house growing up with having three brothers around me. And I will say that I might have said, if my mom had said that to me when I was growing up, I might have said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm totally fine. There's there's a lot of pride there. So it doesn't mean that when you try to get your kid who's being physically or verbally taunted to speak up for themselves that they will. They may not, but you're giving them permission to find their voice. And frankly, again, this is one where you go back later and you say, I'm pretty sure you didn't like that. And it's okay to change the dynamic. In this day and age, Vanessa, unlike the 70s and 80s and 90s, today, kids know the word consent. And I think it's really, really important for parents to lean into that word I think it's really important for parents to actually say to their kids or for any adult in the situation to say to kids, I'm trying to teach a little bit of consent here. You can coach a basketball team. You can lead a choir. And if you use the word consent to explain what you're doing, it's incredibly powerful and resonant for these kids in a way that that word would not have been a generation or two ago. It's so funny because I think of all the scenarios backing up to my childhood and what I wish I could have learned to say or been able to say and to stand up for myself eventually. And the household is like a 
a microcosm of what happens out in the world. And so when we think of our homes as separate entities from what our kids' social lives are like, what the tone is, what language are they using, how are they physically interacting, it's actually really permeable. And there's tons of valuable lessons that we can teach at home that then correlate. Carl, let's finish with the most complicated, which is sexual consent. How about if we just start with the simplest of sexual consents? Because this really is an introductory episode. So the beginning of sexual exploration and intimacy. When we say sexual consent, we're not talking necessarily about consent to have intercourse. Let's just talk about entry-level sexual experimentation, kissing and touching and consent there. I'll give you a perfect example. I was watching one of these crappy shows with my daughter about four years ago. It was like Jesse or one of those Disney shows. And a character, a male character grabbed a female character and kissed her. And she paused the TV and she looked at me and she goes, he didn't have permission to do that. He didn't ask her before he did that. And I said, I know. Isn't that so wild? And I said, do you want to know something even crazier? The movies that I grew up with, it was considered romantic when one character grabbed another character and kissed them. I'm going to say though, that that is a very outlier experience. That is very evolved and it is not what happens in most places. And actually most kids will do what my kids did, which is when I started these conversations about touching and kissing and consent and all that, my kids pointed to the movies and shows that they're watching and said, uh, what about spontaneity? What about getting swept up in the moment? What about passion? And so I think if your kid does not identify that as no consent versus consent, it's okay. I also think it's an amazing conversation to have when you can say there is room for passion and spontaneity and consent all in the same place. When we spoke with Jonathan Crystal, he talked a lot about verbal consent, which is really important, but also nonverbal consent. So what is nonverbal consent? It's all the physical cues you get from someone that something is or isn't okay. And you're always better with verbal consent. So don't get me wrong, like ask, 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 or tell, 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 right? This is not okay with me, or yes, I'm enjoying this, or yes, you can kiss me, or yes, I want to hold your hand. That's always better. But if someone is showing you with their body language, that they're not interested in what you are interested in. That is nonverbal cueing and we must listen to it. And so this is true for all ages, but it's really important to point that out to your kids. That's where that passion in the moment swept up kiss, you can say, well, it looks like there are a lot of nonverbal cues here (laughs) that they're both pretty into it, right? So for kids who are, let's say, sort of in that middle school range where they're starting to have romantic feelings, they might be going to parties where people are, you know, kissing or making out, or maybe they're going to the movies or going to get coffee. And you think, okay, my kid seems to be interested in this other person in a way that's beyond just friends. I need to talk about what's okay and what's not okay. How the hell do I bring that up? with my, you know, 13-year-old who may have no interest in any of it or who may have already like made out with somebody. 
So it depends on you and it depends on your kid. So much of this depends upon your personalities and temperaments and also the way that you interact with each other. Because some people are talkers and some people are listeners and some people are writers and write all of that. But one really great strategy for those who are stuck is to frame it in terms of your friends. What are your friends doing? Any of your friends going out on dates? Just sort of curious what your gauge is on the sort of spectrum of stuff that's happening for your friends. So you don't want to make it about one friend. You don't want to make it sort of a perverse interest in one friend, but let them talk not about themselves. Let them reflect on what's happening for other people around them, which feels a lot safer. In our house, we use the cone. (laughs) The cone is the cone of silence. And sometimes we will say in the cone of the cone of the cone, right? And it's our sort of language with each other that I'm going to ask you a question. It's not to go back and report to other people, but it's just to ask like, where are things for you? And it's really, really effective for some kids, not all kids, but some kids really don't want the spotlight on them or they're not there yet, but they want to have the conversation, but they're not there yet. And some kids are just not going to talk right? They're not going to talk about their friends. They're not going to talk about what they've noticed. They're certainly not going to talk about themselves. And then this is a situation where it is our obligation to simply provide them with a few pieces of basic information. So something like, I'm not sure if we've ever talked about it, but it feels like a good time. And I just want you to know that if you ever want to touch someone else's body, you need their permission. And if they want to touch your body, they need your permission. And we can talk more about what that sounds like and what that looks like. But it's really important that I know that I have shared that piece of information with you. And here's my parting advice, Vanessa. If you're dropping your kids off at a party, at a bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah, at a whatever, and they're tweens, they're young teens, they're older teens, it doesn't matter. And they're about to get out the door and this flashes into your head and you think, oh my God, I have not done the quick consent bite in a while. Say it while they're getting out of the car. This one does not have to be a half an hour of a deep dive. You can literally say, oh, by the way, like literally as the door is about to shut, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, if you, and then just go down that road, if you end up hooking up with someone, if there's someone that you like, if you play spin the bottle, if, 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 whatever thing is relevant for you, don't forget consent. Because you know what that does? That says to your kid, you're not in trouble for wanting to have sort of desires or physical interactions with people. Just don't forget to be smart about it. And don't forget to be thoughtful and kind and be on the right side of this. And so as we wrap up, I think you know, hopefully we've taken people who haven't started these conversations down a road that feels a little less scary. There are so many ways to have consent conversations. My favorite starter video for anyone who has not seen this before is there's a public service announcement from the UK about tea. There's another one from Australia about hamburgers. They're very similar. And basically the tea one, the concept is You ask someone for a cup of tea and they say yes. And then you boil the water and you make them tea. 
there are so many points along the road between when you put the water in the kettle and you serve them the tea and they drink the tea that they could choose not to have the tea and they can tell you they changed their mind. And that is the introduction to the concept of consent. And so look for that video. We will link it in the show notes. And if you're stuck and you don't know where to start, start there. And it works for kids of all ages. My teenagers love it and totally appreciate it. And so don't be afraid to just... You're sitting having a bowl of cereal. Be like, oh, you know what I realized? I just saw this video. It's actually really funny. I want you to watch it. And that's it. Prop up your phone against the cereal box and hit play. Cara, we will link to our episodes with Jonathan Crystal and Shafia Zaloom for some more in-depth stuff on older sexual consent and issues around legalities. And then we will do another episode that does a deep dive specifically into navigating older teens and college kids and consent. Yeah. And maybe we'll even do that one with our interns and they can tell us how they ask for consent. And they can tell us all the ways we get it wrong when teaching about consent. (laughs) Bye, Vanessa. Thanks, Cara. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.